Hi there, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us back here at the Golf Fanatics podcast. Very excited to have a good friend of mine and someone who's really inspired me to greater heights when it comes to uh, getting your body in a better condition, in better shape, able to move faster so we can start to move it out there like Bryson. Uh, my good friend, Mike Carroll. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Really looking forward to hearing your information. Uh, keep in mind, this podcast, we do this so that you can learn some stuff. You can take some of this information out to the golf course. It is for you, the everyday golfer, so you can get some information, some direction to your game and start to have more fun out there. This episode of the Golf Fanatics podcast is presented by Ping. Play your best. At Ping, success is measured in the lab and on your scorecard. We focus on results, your results. In the G425 Max driver, that means more time in the fairway, less time in the rough. There you have it. Play your best. I certainly choose to play, to attempt to play my best. And I know we've got uh, very excited to have Mike Carroll. You may have seen him. Not many people know, not enough people know your name, Mike. They know Fit for Golf, but they don't know the name behind the great information that you get on Instagram, social media, all over the place, it seems nowadays. Uh, you really put out some fantastic content, Mike. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, I'm very glad to come on the podcast and chat. And thank you for the kind words, too. Mike, uh, how has your experience, you know, it's uh, it's very cool. And, and one of the ideas we came up with early on with Golf Fanatics was to have uh, people who are really expert in their fields join us. Because certainly, and I know this, I send a lot of my students to you. Uh, I know this, that I cannot be an expert at everything. I want to have a good idea in most areas when it comes to golf. But uh, I think it's important for all coaches to understand where they are not experts. And I certainly am not an expert when it comes to uh, the training side of the game. And so I funnel a lot of my students who are really keen to get better. They don't even need to be competitive golfers to you. How has your experience been with Golf Fanatics so far? I know we're just growing and we're in our infancy, but we've got some big plans. How's your experience been so far? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it, Andrew. I think you'll probably remember when you approached me about it, you know, sometime last year that I was very excited to get involved. Kind of as soon as I've, I, I heard who, you know, the people that were going to be a part of it were, I knew it was something that I was interested in. Um, you know, people whose stuff I've been following for a long time, even almost even before I was, say, working that much in uh, the golf world myself. Just as a teenager, I was watching your videos growing up, trying to uh, trying to improve <laughs> my own game, you know. So um, it was really cool then to eventually, uh, you know, get to know you and some of the others and uh, eventually get involved and, and provide some content. It's been exciting. Um, I love creating videos and articles and sharing them basically wherever people can access them to try and improve. It's been something very rewarding over the last, I don't know, maybe five or six years since I started doing it. You just never know who's going to be watching or reading yeah. something that you've produced and when you might get, you know, a very nice comment or feedback on something. You might have a, a three or five year old video or article and one day you wake up to an email from somebody saying, I just watched your video on X. It really helped me. And 
that's something with you know how easily we can spread information now is quite cool i think yeah yeah it it, it is incredibly uh exciting to a certain degree i would say you know to to just i i think a lot of content creators and people certainly you're putting out i know you're putting out fantastic information i'm trying to do all i can to put out worthy helpful information for golfers of every caliber but it's kind of neat when you get a message or a text from someone who's playing for a living and they go andrew i watched this video and i'd love to chat i'd love to get together um it really does resonate and uh it's just it's just a good feeling isn't it it's amazing yeah i had um almost uh an unbelievable experience last year to be honest uh completely out of the blue i just woke up one morning to a twitter message from a fedex cup champion and Ryder cup player who i had never you know talked to ever wasn't even aware that he was following me and just a simple message saying um like hi mike how's it going i i really enjoy the stuff you put out i'd love to get started maybe with some training can we set up a phone call um and a couple of months later i was up in harding park at the pga championship for a week helping this player out so like it's just amazing how how quickly things can happen with uh with social media and just you know the the i suppose the amount of people who can access things you're you're putting out these days that was that was something that would not have been possible even say 10 years ago certainly certainly and i know mike um you work tremendously hard it i often you know i'll get on twitter at the end of the day and i think to myself okay so has mike been on twitter all day <laughs> You know, because you certainly make, I, I know you're not, I know you're, 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 you're training people, whether it's, you know, face to face or online, um, you're working hard in so many different capacities. Um, the level of the information is second to none. And, and really, I also want to thank you and say, thanks for the inspiration. Thanks for the guidance. It, it's, it's amazing what happens when great information coupled with hard work is openly shared uh and people are golfers of every caliber are going to reach out and i'm telling you right now it's just starting it's just starting for you mate um mike you you are clearly not from america or italy okay no. um can you give us a little background tell us uh tell us uh, what part of ireland you came from how you found your way to america where you're based and just what what you how people can track you down yeah i grew up in cork in ireland which is the very southern tip of the island and anybody who is from there will be very quick to tell you it is the best part of ireland <laughs> uh, and and the real capital i went to school or college in the university of limerick and i graduated from there with a sport and exercise science degree in 2014 and i just set up kind of full time as an independent trainer back in cork um for about a year and a half and i then saw one day on twitter actually um funnily enough the tpi twitter account had a post up that there was a gym called hansen fitness for golf 
looking for a full-time trainer who could specialize in working with golfers. And at the time I was 24, single, just out of college and saw this job opportunity coming up to move to Orange County, California and live right next to the beach and train golfers for a living. So in about five seconds, I had an application sent off and long story short, 10 months later, that was in January of 2016 when I saw that um, notice. And in October of 2016, I moved over to Orange County, California and started working for Hanson Fitness for Golf. And I've been in, in that role and in that area of the country since. The Fit for Golf part of it is the trading name that I was working under in Ireland in my work with golfers. And I kept that going in an online capacity here. And that's kind of why people would know me, you know, through that, uh, that name in the online world, I suppose. And that's where I am now. So I've been kind of splitting my time for the last four years doing in-person work for Hanson Fitness for Golf, which is in Irvine, California, okay. about, an, about an hour south of Los Angeles, and then doing all my online work in my own time the video recording, the editing, uh, writing some articles and obviously, you know, putting the, um, the videos on social media and sort of building out the app as well that a lot of people may be familiar with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I've got a lot of my students on that app and I certainly would encourage everyone to check it out. Um, how can people find that app, Mike? Uh, they simply just go to the website fitforgolf.blog and they will find all or any of the info that they want there. The one thing I would say about that is um, they won't find it in the app store. They need to go through the website to download it just based on how I have it set up. Uh, so that's just an important note for people who may be looking for it. Okay, and that's important, fitforgolf.blog. That's B-L-O-G, not .com, fitforgolf.blog. And that's where you'll find it. It's a fantastic program, great stuff. A bunch of my students are on it. Okay. I may be showing my limited knowledge when it comes to fitness for golf, uh, but I look at it there as being the three biggies, uh, stretching, strength, and speed. Yeah. Am I right? You, you are right. I would, um, I would change it slightly in what that. Would you say? Uh, so I would just call the first one mobility rather okay. than stretching. Simple reason for that is... I think we need to just have people be aware that it's not so much about doing stretching is very important. It's more so about understanding if people have the range of motion necessary for a good golf swing or for the golf swing that they want. And the reason why that's important is that sometimes stretching is not the best way to do that. Or depending on who the person is, they may have more than enough mobility and then trying to work on more of it is not going to have any impact on their golf swing. But those are definitely the big three, mobility, strength, speed. And depending on who the person is, there's going to be um, basically maybe a strength or weakness for that person. Okay. Okay. Thank you for realigning my statement. I like that. I, I always prefer to be closer to what the experts are saying. No, you're, you're pretty much there. Mobility, mobility strength, speed. strength, speed. And Mike, speed. Okay, in my, as I talk to my students and try to get them to understand what speed is, 
Um, I use terms like quickness. I use terms like agility. Would you say those terms are appropriate there? Um, yeah, they, they can be. To be honest, what I would say is most important for a golf instructor is that they don't need to be, it's not essential that they're using, say, the most scientifically accurate terms. Yeah. What's, imp what's important is that the information that they're giving to the golfer, regardless of the label they put on it, is going to be helpful. I think that's okay. what's the most important thing. Something that I've been kind of thinking a lot more about recently is I've been trying to dig into how club head speed is created more and how we can improve it is that something that I think all the golf world, not just the everyday golfer, can get a little bit confused with is that we measure club head speed with, with a speed reading and we also label it yeah. speed. So everybody thinks about this word speed. But what's very important is that the reason why club head speeds have such a high reading, like when you hear a, like the, oh, the golf club is, the club head is traveling 100 miles per hour at impact or the club head is traveling 120 miles per hour at impact, depending yeah. on who you're talking about. We always think, man, that is happening so quickly. That's happening so fast. But what we need to remember is that the club head is on the end of a 45 inch shaft and the grip is in our hands, which are on the end of our, say, three, le three foot length arms. Mm. So while the club head is moving exceptionally quickly, that's on a very long radius away from the center of our body. Mm. So our body and the muscle contractions that are happening to create very high club head speed are not that fast relative to some of the other movements that happen in sports. And where okay. I'm going with this is that that's why getting much stronger with things like resistance training or strength training, even if the movements are quite slow and the resistance is quite large relative to our strength level, can make it make sense. Okay, so so that that slow resistance, that that heavy weight can make us stronger, which can in turn allow us to leverage things better. So we get the club head going faster. Exactly. So a good way to think of it would be that, and I'm not saying that training like with very light things for speed is bad at all. That's definitely yeah, yeah. something I'm sure we'll touch on, but uh, probably a good way to try and help people understand it is that club head speed is an expression of how much force we can produce in a swing. Okay. Yeah. The only thing that can produce force in our body is muscle tissue. If we can strengthen our muscles, we can produce more force, which means that we should be able to apply more force to the golf club and then it moves faster. So more speed comes from, in one way, more force production and force production is governed by muscle contraction. So if you have strong muscles versus weak muscles, how much speed you can create with strong muscles is likely to be far greater. And I, I, I love that. The, the analogy that I give my students is I ask them the question, why are ladies tees ahead of men's tees? And the reason they all say is because they don't hit the ball as far. And I go, why don't ladies typically, and I'm talking typically here, why don't ladies typically hit the ball as far as men? Because they're typically not 
physically as strong. And that leads to the light bulb moment where they go, oh, so strength matters. Yes, strength. If you want to hit the ball further, strength matters. And uh, that's something that's um, to a certain degree been a little bit of a revelation for me uh, in that it really does matter. You know, we can all think of that that small person or that skinny person that we played with that hits the ball 30 or 50 yards longer than us. Uh, but ultimately, I think that player is leveraging the club well, and they're fairly strong as well. They're fairly strong as well. The, the picture I have, Mike, is there's this bucket, and there are lots of funnels coming into the bucket. And there are, you know, there's just a lot of different little things we, the golfer, can tap into to start to fill our speed bucket. How can we start to fill that speed bucket? And, you know, the more funnels we can get flowing at full steam, now we really start to get into it. What are some of those, when we're talking speed here and we're on this topic, it's certainly a hot topic in the game. Um, I know you're playing around with it. I'm playing around with it. And it's amazing to see how when you simply go out there and get intentional with it, and that's been really my experience, um, just getting intentional with your practice, as in my purpose out here is to get this club head moving faster and to hit the ball further. Um, when you do that and you practice that, how much of a difference it makes. And that really is, it's one major funnel and there's a lot of mini funnels in that one funnel. But what are some of the important things that the everyday golfer can do to help start to fill up that speed distance bucket? Yeah, so it's interesting that you mentioned your your bucket with a different number of funnels, um, a framework that I've been trying to share with people to help them of late is breaking speed down into four components and trying to get them to understand each of the four yeah. and how they can help. And the basic framework that I try to give them are the, the four keys are number one is one that you just mentioned, which is intent. Yeah. Because what I found is that club head speed is just as much about strategy as it is improving physical characteristics or mm. changing mechanics. Because there's definitely an element of trusting and deciding that you're going to swing faster on the course. Like yeah. that has to be a conscious decision. And that's the intent you're talking about. Because like I know from kind of, this is easy to do with professional players because we have their shot link data in PGA tour events. Obviously mm -hmm. most amateur golfers aren't measuring it, but like I know for certain that most players are a lot of players, at least on the PGA tour have about five to seven miles per hour in the tank that they don't use on their average tee shots. Mm. And the re the reason for that is obviously there's a trade-off between swinging as fast as possible and having, you know, the, the type of strike and flight that you're looking for. Yeah. Now, some players, they have a bigger difference than that. They might be a 10 mile an hour gap, yeah. whereas other players might be a three mile an hour gap. And that mm. comes down to intent and trust. Okay. Yeah. The second element that I would go into is something that you're the real expert in would be mechanics. Yeah. So you can take the same golfer and within five minutes you can probably show them a couple of things they say look andrew i'm not happy with how far the ball is going 
my driver speed is let's say 85 miles an hour, which might be, you know, something that you would typically see in a, in a, let's say an average golfer of every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you might be able to say to them, well, yes, by trying to hit it harder, I'm sure we can bump you up a couple of miles an hour. But if you lift your left heel in the backswing and you allow your hands travel, you know, what feels like five or six inches further back. So you make a longer backswing they might jump up five miles an hour in, in three swings, you know, just from quickly. Yeah. So mechanics or biomechanics is definitely a big mm -hmm. one. Um, you need to be able to get physics on your side, basically a real yes. simple way that I explain this to people so that they can understand it is I say to them, why, when you're hitting a, let's say if you're, if you can, if you hit your sand wedge 85 yards on a normal full swing shot, what happens when you hit your sandwich 50 yards? Well, I take a shorter backswing. Exactly. You've changed your mechanics so that there's mm. not as much club head speed produced at impact. Yeah. And one of the biggest things for that change in mechanics is literally just backswing length. Because when the backswing gets longer, our hands travel further. So they have more time to build up force on the downswing. And that's one of the big things that can help us. Um, mm. The third one is physical capabilities. And that's sort of yes. where my expertise is in and where I spend most of my time. Because if you have somebody who has a high level of intent and somebody who has very good mechanics, they're likely to be reasonably fast or at a, at least an average level. But if they don't have good underlying physical capabilities, they're definitely going to be limited. And mm. to be honest, this is where I think we will see a bigger shift in high level golf. We've already seen it a little bit, but I think it will start to happen a little bit more is that pro golfers and let's say any high level golfers, they've always been very good at mechanics and they've always been very good at intent. But now as they understand really, I suppose, due to better analytics in golf, how valuable distance is, a lot of them will start be, will start to train more athletically like golfers in other strength and power sports have for decades. And they will start to get, better underlying physical capabilities and then we will see a you know a, a bigger basically distance increase or speed increase yeah and then the last one is equipment which i'm definitely not an expert in but i know is very important um like people like club fitting is is a is a very you know big art and science but anybody who's ever had a club fitting or tried some different clubs has been able to tell right away that there can be a difference in one, how fast you swing them. Um, but I suppose more importantly with the equipment is rather than club head speed, because club head speed with a lot of different clubs will be reasonably similar unless yes. you start lengthening the shaft. But how much ball speed that you get from each club, you know, can be can be big if it's if it's mm. fitted properly for you. So those are the four yeah. uh, in, intent, mechanics, physical capabilities and equipment. And just each person needs to, I would say, sit down and just think about where am I in each of these four categories? Usually yeah. number one and number four are pretty easy to get up to a high level quickly because they don't take that much work. Yeah. An hour with a club fitter, your club is taken care of, making a conscious decision that I'm going to start swinging closer to my maximum. That's something you can do right away, but definitely requires time to get comfortable with. But then the two that make the biggest difference, and this is where we see the real, real fast swingers and long hitters live in, is number two and number three. They're always working on better technique and figuring out techniques that are going to help them 
uh, in terms of their swing mechanics to get more speed. And mm. they're always trying to work on their physical development and gradually bring those two up. And that's where we see the big, big differences between uh, between players of different speed capabilities, really. Yeah, I, that, I, I love that so much, Mike. It, it's I tend to talk about three. Um, I like that you've got four. I think it's important that we have differences. Um, I know that most golfers who have decent equipment are not going to see much of a change. And I also, I, I, I think this is important to stress. Whilst we should work towards um, faster speeds and longer tee shots, when you go in for that driver fitting, I think it's important to keep in mind dispersion. Mm -hmm. And it may not, the club for you may not necessarily be the club that goes five yards longer than option B, but look at the size of that dispersion circle because we still got to go and find the ball, right? Um, and so get a, get a straight hitting fast club. Yeah. And I think in combination there, and then go, if we're just pure long driving, it's like, okay, we get eight balls, we get six shots. It's like, I, I just need a club that's going to make it go that six yards longer. Uh, but if we're playing golf, that's important, I think, for everybody to keep in mind is, is find a club that's fast. And I'll say this, they're all fast. They're all fast. Find one that goes far, but the straightest one you can find. That's not necessarily shortening the shaft and making it a 12 degree head. Okay, find a piece of equipment that works for you and then get out there. I know from my experience and I know you've tapped into all of the all of the funnels going into your distance bucket, your speed bucket. I've tapped into I feel like my equipment is pretty good. I've played around with it. I've played around with a longer shaft. Um, I see higher, slightly higher club speeds. It's less than you might expect. And that's why I think we haven't seen anybody, any prominent players make the jump to a 48 inch shaft. Um, it is, you'll get some faster club head speeds, but you'll also get some foul balls. And ultimately I think the ball speed doesn't, doesn't go up as much people, as much as people would like to see. That was certainly my experience. Um, so I'm going to stick with a pretty standard length club. Um, but my big changes, and I've improved my carry from, and this is not on every shot. This is when I'm being intentional. Uh, I've improved my carry by over 30 yards. You know, uh, I would say four months ago when I started this little challenge that uh, you're aware of with uh, Crossfield and Martin Chuck, uh, a good driver would, for me, a well-struck driver would carry in the upper 250s yards, okay? Um, the other day, I carried one 297. Wow. And that's really tapping into, uh, that's just purely tapping into uh, intent and mechanics, biomechanics, methodology, tricks of the trade to help get this club longer. Um, uh, you know, the more of the funnels you can tap into, uh, the better your return is going to be. That's for sure, hey? Yeah, 100%. And I think like what's important there, and you probably touched on it nicely with the, the equipment um, thoughts, is that those four, like I just basically scratched the surface on each yeah. four of them. You know, it's just that, that 
like and obviously I wasn't trying to say that you know uh, equipment is somewhere where you're likely to gain tons of speed. The the point is that if you're going to be doing this, equipment totally. is something you need to make sure you're you're optimized in. For but sure. um, yeah, I I think it's it's something that golfers um can definitely try and get a little bit more in tune with. Is that the way I try and explain it to people is that. Like we all know that there's much more to playing good golf than speed. Like it's, it's, sure. it does, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it is definitely something that can be a massive advantage. And the other way that I look at it is that if you're over about the age of 25 or 30 and you're not proactively working on your speed, it's gradually getting worse. Mm. Un- unfortunately, that is a biological fact. And a lot of the golfers that contact me, they will tell me that, you know, they've, let's just say it's a 60 year old golfer, which would be a very common, you know, target, say person for me. And they might say, Mike, I've been playing golf for 45 years. Uh, you know, started when they were 15, I'm playing, you know, feel like I'm playing great. I've got so much better at X, Y, Z. But now I'm realizing that my distance is getting shorter and I'm struggling to hit greens in regulation. As a result, my handicap is bumping up. And what the reason why I brought that up is that if golfers would, you know, I think most golfers, it's a lifelong pursuit of, of getting better. We need to look out for what's, a, what's limiting us from playing the golf we'd like to play. Is it a skill issue or is it a physical issue? And I think for most golfers who aren't actively working on their physical capabilities, the physical capabilities degrade much quicker than the skill does. And that's totally. what, that's why we don't see players maintain their playing standard, you know, through exactly, exactly. 40s, 50s, 60s at a high level. I say, I, I, I say to a, a lot of people that I teach, I, I go, why do you think Jack Nicholas is not that competitive anymore? It's because his body has changed. He still, he must probably knows how to play golf better today than he did when he was winning. Uh, But the thing that's changed is his body has changed. And so we've got to look after that vehicle. And, you know, that's where you come in. Exactly. And the the nice, um, the nice thing about it too, like, is that it's also just so beneficial for us from a general health standpoint. Like it's a, it's a lovely, you know, like double whammy effect. Basically it's like, hold on a second, this really helps my golf. And it's also really good for my general health and quality of life. It's a no brainer for me, you know, it's just, it's just, why isn't this something that you try and prioritize really? That's well said, Mike, that really is well said. It's, it's, uh, it's so important. It's, it's what helps us get around. It's what helps us um, make better swings. And if we want to move the golf ball, we've got to move the club. And in order to move the club, we must be able to move our body. Uh, Mike, one of the things I wanted to get on, and let, let's jump back to mobility. I'm not going to say stretching anymore. I'm going to stick with mobility. Um, let's jump back to mobility. I know a lot of the golfers that I encounter, that you encounter, the everyday golfer that range from you know 40 years old and up, uh, male, female, um, what can they do just at home? Something simple, something straightforward. Uh, what can they do to start to take care of that mobility side? 
Yeah, um, the nice thing about working on mobility is that it's exceptionally easy to do and it doesn't take long. You don't need any equipment really. Uh, you don't even need to say like get warmed up or put on your workout clothes. You can literally do it almost from anywhere. Honestly, the simplest one that I would say for golfers to do, and they would probably enjoy doing it because it feels so like a golf swing is, I would say something as simple as, you know, holding something that has some bit of weight to it, maybe three to five pounds, anything they have at home, they'll be able to find something and just practice making backswings that are as exaggerated in length as you can, because mm. that's, that's like one of the, the number one, say, principles that we try to follow in training is a word called specificity. And essentially what that means is that the body adapts to what we tell it to do. So if we can really get specific with the movements we're trying to increase the range of motion at, we have a pretty good idea that it's going to transfer to the movement we're ultimately trying to improve. Okay. So if you can imagine even just grabbing, you could literally just fill up a, say a 32 ounce, you know, bottle of water or something as yeah. simple as that. If you don't have any, you know, equipment at all and just practicing making like long flowing backswings that are as long as you comfortably can. And immediately what people will start to do is they'll start to allow their lower body rotate. They'll start to turn their upper body more. They'll start, the getting their, they'll start getting their hands up a little bit higher. And what's interesting there is that they're now practicing a motion that is very similar. And it doesn't have to be the exact same as the golf swing. Like they're, they're not practicing their golf technique as such. They're literally just working on getting a bigger range of motion in that type of movement pattern that they want to be able to use. And that's mm -hmm. going to help them work on their hip mobility, their torso or, or thoracic spine around their ribcage mobility, and a little bit of shoulder mobility. Um, and literally something as simple as that done daily for two or three minutes would probably that's make great. a big difference to the average person, you know. Um, another one that I love to do, um, and I try and encourage people to do, and again, it, it has great uh, transfer in terms of it works on what you need for golf, but also generally quality of life is, I really encourage people to try and work on their squat at home. I'm not talking about a building up, you know, to a 300 pound squat. I mean, using a squat for mobility purposes. So literally just standing with your feet about shoulder width apart and practicing getting your butt as close to the ground as you can, nice and controlled. For a lot of people, that can be very tough at first, and they're amazed at how limited they are in their mobility. And some people have kind of knee or hip issues and things like this. But a simple way to help you with that is you can put your hands on, you know, some like a door frame or hold onto a table or a countertop or something like that. And that allows you to unweight some of the load from your lower body. And you also have some help from your upper body if you, if you can't get up from the bottom. But by working on a deep squat, we get to work on all the big major joints in the lower body. It works on our ankle mobility, our knee mobility, and our hip mobility. And all mm. those joints are super important for the golf swing. And the muscles that move those joints, our calves, our quads, our hamstrings, our glutes, they're some of the really big power producers in the golf swing. So if we can work on those things, you know, relatively consistently even for short periods at a time we start to see big differences 
Okay, so we've got swing something heavy, a, a bottle of milk, just something that might weigh a couple of pounds, go back as far as we can. And then we've got do some squats, doesn't have to be with a weight, it can simply be trying to get those butt cheeks to the floor. Um, what have you got as far as strength? What you got, Mike? What can people do at home? Um, just some straightforward stuff. I think this is this is certainly what I relate to, and I think a lot of people do as well. Yeah, so a really good strength one that I like for... So I, I generally, to keep it simple for people, I usually try and categorize their mobility and strength exercises into lower body, trunk or core, and upper body exercises. Okay. Ju just so that it's easy to put a label on them and they kind of have cool. a, like a framework. Now, Give some of them. One of each. One, you got yeah. one for each? So, I know you yeah. do. You got yeah, two yeah. for each. <laughs> so, <laughs> some of them will combine everything, um, which is fine too. And I tell them that. But a simple lower body strength one I like is a lunge or a squat, a split squat, sorry. So to do that, all you do is put one foot forward, one foot back, and you're essentially then doing a squatting or lunging motion, but in this split stance. So you might have like a yard between your two feet. Okay. And what this does when we go into the split stance like this, rather than a you know regular two-legged stance, is that the vast majority of the weight goes to our front leg. Yeah. And now what that forces the muscles on our front leg to do is work much harder than if we just do a regular squat. And depending on the strength of the person, if you pick, say, let's just say a number, a 10 reps is, is a good number. If somebody can do 10 regular squats and they feel that that's pretty easy on their legs, they're not then getting any strength benefit from it because there's no, there's no challenge there. Mm. Whereas now what you could do is get this person into the split stance where they put one foot forward, one foot back, and let's say they have their right foot forward and their left foot back. Well, now, I don't know, maybe 70% or so of the work is going to be on that leg that's in front. So now mm -hmm. without adding any external weight in terms of equipment, they've just manipulated their body weight to put much more stress onto that front leg. And then if they can do 10 reps with that, and after, or sorry, if they try and do 10 reps of that, and after seven or eight, they're like, man, my right thigh is starting to really feel like it's under pressure. Now you know that that's a better exercise for you than the squat to build your leg strength. Mm. Mm. Unless you have, you know, extra weight, you can add to your squat. Um, a trunk one that I really like is very simple, is if people can, any type of tubing or resistance band that they have, most people now have at least one or some that they have, um, I love them to tie that onto something that is sturdy or secure, like a door frame or, you know, like uh, some sort of pole that they have, you know, for holding up some structure somewhere. Simply loop that around at about waist height, hold it in both your hands, basically just cut both hands onto the tubing, walk away from the anchor point so there's some resistance and just practice basically some body pivots, just okay. turning back and through against the resistance and you will find that your trunk or abdominal muscles are doing the majority of the work to rotate your body. And it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out as you do this, that those muscles are very similar to the ones that you're trying to use to help you turn in the golf swing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've, uh, I've gotten out of doing that. I used to do quite a lot of that, but I have a sneaking suspicion tomorrow morning, 
I'll be back on that. Mark. Yeah. And what's, uh, what's nice about something like that too, is if you have your tubing and you can just tie it onto somewhere, just leave it up there. Don't put it away. Yeah, when you're a done. Good idea, yeah. And then as you walk past it, like my apartment has bands and sliders and stuff everywhere. Uh, and Mike, <laughs> let me ask you, are you married? I am not. I'm uh, not. I, good, I, I, good luck leaving the tubing. Out <laughs> something. I it's do not happening in this house. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I like your idea. <laughs> I do. I, I I do live with my girlfriend, and occasionally the tubing goes missing. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. my wife is having none of that. Yeah, you see, the the key is you need to teach uh, whoever you're living with how to use the equipment, and <laughs> tell them how good for them it is, and then you have a better chance of keeping it up. I like the idea. What have we got for upper body, Mike? The simplest upper body one to do, um, and it has huge benefits. And something that people don't understand about this, it's also a really good core exercise, is learning how to do a high-quality push-up. So a push-up, a simple way to explain what do you mean it's a core exercise, it's your upper body pushing yeah. up and down. View a push-up as a moving plank. So everybody's done a plank exercise okay, at yeah, least once yeah. where they try and maintain that like sturdy pillar like position with their with their midsection. That's what you're doing in a push up, except you're moving with your upper body while you do it. With push ups, most people try and do a variation that is too difficult for them. And as a result, they can't keep good technique. So okay. I would I would say to most people keep your push-up reps between about five to 10, because anytime I see people try and do more than this, unless, unless there's someone who are super fit, they tend to do poor technique. Mm. And I would also say for people who haven't done them in a while or you know, aren't sure where their strength is, we can scale push-ups very quickly. So what I mean by that is, if you're unsure of your push-up strength, start with a hands elevated push-up. And this would simply be done by putting your hands on a countertop or a table or the side of a sofa or something like that, which is going to mean that your body's, you know, at a little bit of an incline rather than flat on the ground. Yeah. And that, that way, there's going to be less of your body weight going through your shoulders and elbows and wrists. And you don't have to press as much of your body weight during the push-up. And then if you find that you can do, you know, five to 10 of them and there's no real challenge, well, now find something that's slightly closer to the ground. So for example, just looking quickly around my apartment here, my countertop is higher than my table, is higher than my sofa. So I could try each of the three of those. And if I'm like, no, they're all pretty easy. Okay, well now try the floor. But I think what happens yeah. to a lot of people is they think push-ups are done from the floor, which is actually quite a challenging exercise, yeah. especially if you're a little bit overweight because you need to put all of your weight on top of your elbows and wrists. And then people try two or three push-ups, they realize it's very hard, and then they just start making their technique less and less effective to try mm -hmm. and make the exercise easier, and there's no real benefit. So we want push-ups to be a full range of motion, all the way down, all the way up, keeping your body in one line, moving as one piece. You'd actually be surprised how many people find that very, very difficult, especially at first. So I would say start at the countertop, then go to the table, then try the sofa, and then try the floor. And you know, it might take you a month or it might take you six months to get up to doing them on the floor or depending on what age you are and what your strength level is, you may never be doing push-ups off the floor, but that's not mm -hmm. a big deal. All that's important is 
you start at the level that's correct for you now and gradually try and improve. That's, that's basically the message for everybody is just start, find out where your best starting point is now and just gradually try and improve at it. That's, mm. that's the key really, you know? That's great. That's great. So I'm making mental notes and go, hopefully golf fanatics, you're doing the same. I'm going to go, okay, 10 proper push-ups. 10 split leg squats on each leg. Yeah. I'm going to go with um, 10 band resistance bands twisting away on each side. I, th I think, you know, I think we should most yeah, probably, yeah. And I, I don't think, I don't know if you said that, but let's go yeah, each I side. Would, I would go each side for all of them. And, and tell, then, tell and then Terry I, that I said, you have to leave the tubing out. It has to stay at its I'll place. Tell her, I'll, I'll try <laughs> to get that by, slide that by her. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let her know you said it's imperative. And then, um, you know, 10 of those, those almost mobility squats. Yeah. We're trying to get the butt cheeks as close to the ground. And uh, 10 swings with a heavy object going as far as we can get it back. You know? Exactly. And a if little five times 10, some good mobility, some good strengthening. And as you said just a minute ago, uh, based on where you are right now, where you're, you might, it might be five, it might be 15 of yeah. each, depending on where you are. But uh, that is really cool information. And I think golfers, people, human beings ultimately uh, need these little snippets. If we are to get started, don't present someone with a mountain of information and stuff that they've got to go and do on day one. Give them something to get them encouraged and motivated and, uh, and that'll that'll get them going, you know. Hundred percent. And I think um, the key for people is to just try and progress very conservatively. Like people yeah. get into people get into trouble with with fitness in terms of picking up injuries or losing steam when they try and basically do too much too soon. Yeah. There's literally it's 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 literally impossible to speed up the process. Like you you just have to accept that this is how long it's going to take. And you just have to try and do a little bit, you know, gradually and consistently. There's um, like a people, most people have probably heard it, but for anyone who says slightly older listening or even, you know, in their middle age, it didn't take, you know, one week or one month or one year to fall out of the shape that you were in maybe when you were in high school mm -hmm. or you were in college, you know, being a lot more active. So it's not going to take one week or one month or one year to get into really, really good shape. You know, yeah. you can make, you can make a lot of progress in say three months, six months, a year, but that's what I would suggest to people to view it as, you know, not how good shape can I get in the next three weeks? Cause then what often happens people is they get a rush of enthusiasm. They start doing way too much. And then all of a sudden they're like, man, those split squats are really bad for your knees. And yeah, it's like yeah. the split squats aren't the problem. It's the fact that you went from doing zero split squats in 30 years to 500 split squats in the last two weeks. That's the problem, <laughs> yeah. not the split squat, you know? Yeah. Um, so that is, that is just a message I would say to people is start nice and conservative and gradually build up. Okay, Mike, I've got a couple of questions for you. I know you're working on speed. I'm working on speed. Um, what is your carry goal you're going to carry the ball with the driver what's your carry goal um honestly for me it is 330 
330 so, in the air. That's amazing. Ball this speed, is ball speed goal. Ball speed goal is 200. I just I just hit 190 about two weeks ago on a flight scope. Um, th- those swings, like it's important to note. I'm I'm splitting my time at the moment, so I also have a goal of being a scratch golfer. Yes. I was uh, I was a 5.1 in May of last year, and I got down to 0.4 in I think August Fantastic. or o- October of last year. But I haven't cracked through the the barrier yet. So I'm trying to I'm trying to divide my time between both of those. Um, but those swings that I make, trying to hit those really really high speeds, are completely unrelated to the swings I make on the golf course. It's honestly almost like a different sport. Yes, but, but, and you know this, when, you know, we've got our max swing and our playing swing. As this rises, so this rises, and that rises, and that, you know, it, they're well, different, but... So, what's absolutely amazing uh, in regards to that point is about once every two weeks or three weeks, I go to, um, there's a local instructor here who has a really nice studio with a flight scope, and I rent it out for an hour so that I can... Yeah just hit balls as hard as I can there. It's really fun. And I get to practice, you know, all the long drive tricks I've been working on. But let's say if I hit hurt, let's say if I'm warming up with my driver and if I'm just hitting a, a normal shot with my driver, I'm probably about, let's say 116 to 119. Those are good driver swings for me. Like I'm trying to hit it reasonably hard, but I could definitely play with it. If I, yeah. if I stood on the first tee of a normal par four tomorrow, that's probably what a, a you know, track man or flight scope would say roughly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I go and hit 20 or 30 balls where I'm going crazy with that long drive swing, yeah. I'll probably get up to say 130 uh, by the wow. end of it. But what's amazing is if I then tee up some balls and I just go with my like cruise, this is my normal playing swing, yeah. it's like 122. Yeah. So, like, the, the basically, like, by just like rounding up and winding up as fast as you can and you can mm. and you can you drop back to what feels normal and all of a sudden it's about five miles an hour faster and the reason why that's important it's not about like forget about what actual speeds that you're at but why that's important for people is if you have someone who's on you know the like just a your regular listener who's trying to improve their speed and i get this all the time in emails and on twitter and people will say Mike, I tried working on my speed today. I hit 10 balls, uh, but they didn't go straight. So now I'm going to stop working on speed and I'm going to go back to trying to hit it straight. Yeah. And now what happens is they never, ever actually practice getting faster Fast. and being yeah. uncomfortable with how fast they're going. Yeah. But that's what you have to do if you want to gradually be comfortable at that speed. Does that make sense? Like totally. You, you, you got to get it, uncomfortable. Get out of your comfort zone. Exactly. Like if you have a golfer who's now 90 miles an hour and they want to get to 95 miles an hour, they're never going to go from 90 to 95 without trying to get to 100 swinging out of their shoes. That's yeah. going to make it much easier. And they need to go slightly past where they're comfortable with and then dial it back down. But that's yeah. much easier than saying, no, I'm just going to keep going with this and hopefully it goes up a mile per hour week by week by week. I would say, do it the other way around. Go wild, get the speed as high as you can because by going wild and actually going as fast as you can, you're probably only going to go about six or seven faster than you do anyway. Yeah. And your swing probably won't even change that much. It just feels like it does. And then gradually dial back down to your sweet spot. 
Yeah. Okay, Mike, we got uh, that's fantastic information. Thank you for sharing that like so aligns with the message that I give to uh, golfers who come to my golf schools um, and I teach and talk to on an everyday basis. Uh, I love it. A lot of what I say comes from you. So thank you for that. I've got some fast finish questions. Okay. And the way the fast finish questionnaire works is you get two choices, uh, okay. except we always have a special bonus question at the end. And you have three choices in the bonus question, but it's very quick. And you just fire out your answer. Don't think too much about these. Here we go. Okay. Pebble Beach or St. Andrews? St. Andrews. Caddyshack or Tin Cup? Caddyshack. Jack or Tiger? Tiger. Open Championship or US Open? Open Championship. No, I can't believe that. Mike. You know what, though? What I would vote, and most Irish or people from like Ireland or the UK wouldn't, I think I'd pick a Masters over an Open Championship. Oh, really? That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I got to go Open Championship. I'm Open Championship all the way. Um, walk or ride? Walk. Riding better, is one of the... You better oh. say that. You better say that. Yeah. Uh, would you rather be the best iron player or the best driver? Iron player. Aligning with the data. Very good. Uh, Lynx course or Parkland? Lynx. Annika Sorenstam or Mickey Wright? Annika Sorenstam. I don't know enough about Mickey Wright to be fair to her, though. I'll have to do okay. some research after this. Yeah, she uh, amazing golf swing, fabulous record, just a just incredible player. Uh, Rolling Stones or the Beatles? The Beatles. Would you rather win the money list or a major championship? A major championship. The money will take care of itself if you win a major championship. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Okay, so here's the bonus question. You two, the Cranberries, or Patty Casey? Patty Casey. And you, oh, I love, <laughs> I love that you know who Patty Casey is. I, Patty Casey is huge in our house. We love Patty Casey. For everyone listening, uh, Patty Casey, look him up. He's a great uh, Irish singer and got some great music, great songs out there. <laughs> That's good. I was I put that out there. I wasn't sure, but I was like, oh, he's got to know who Patty yeah, Casey is. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised to hear it. I was like, <laughs> Patty Casey. Yeah, yeah. No, all very good, uh, all all very good singers. Um, but I think I would pick, I would go Patty Casey, the cranberries, and then you two. Yeah, me too, probably. And I like them all. And I like yeah. them all. Uh Mike, th this has been great fun. Uh, thanks for sharing your expertise, for taking your time. Uh, I know you're a very, very busy man. And I'm just going to say this again for everybody who would like to get A, better at golf and B, better at living your life. If you just want to be healthier and move better, uh, regardless of golf, although golf is a nice bonus, fitforgolf.remember this blog, fitforgolf.blog. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, all you do for Golf Fanatics, we are so honored to have you on board with us. Thanks a lot, mate. Stay well. Keep up the great info. Eh? My pleasure, Andrew. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Thank you.